Hi, this is State Delegate Mark Corman, and from Wisconsin Avenue and District 16 to Pratt Street in Baltimore to the Boardwalk on the Eastern Shore and everywhere in between, Conduit Street Podcast is the go-to source for news about Maryland politics and policy. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we are at 169 Conduit today. It's good to see you. I thought you were only going to come down on the really nice days, and today it's raining, so I guess I was wrong about that, but hopefully you got some karaoke in. I think that's when we last were here. You were heading out to do karaoke. So. All right. So, yeah, we got all this crazy feedback that we were trying to, like, tongue firmly planted in cheek, talk about COVID's canceled, the party's on, and that sort of stuff, and I don't know, maybe a fully half of the comments we got back from listeners were saying, I hope you guys are safe. Please don't be dumb. Please wear your masks. No, we're fine. We're being smart. Everything's okay. But it is nice to be back in town, back on Conduit Street. And, you know, we we set a trap out in front of the Conduit Street offices, hoping we could find a, a guest speaker to join us for this episode. And man, we hit it hard. We found a great guest today, friend of the podcast, Chris Trumbauer, a man of many roles. And he has just <laughs> elevated into a new role, and we'll talk some about that. But Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. Of course, Anne Arundel County's budget officer. Welcome to the podcast. Sure. Happy to be here. I was just walking down the street. It started raining. I ducked <laughs> in here to try and get some shelter, and now I'm on a radio. He was looking right. for an umbrella. You <laughs> right. know, but I hope you enjoyed the green room. You have your snacks. Yeah, good. it's good. You... What's with all the Guam posters oh, in there? That's, that, that's what we do. We get you set up. We get you ready, because that's mostly what this podcast is about. A little Maryland politics, a little policy, a lot of Guam. Cool. All right. I'm into it. All right. So, Chris, we want to hear about your journey into becoming Anne Arundel County's budget officer. And, and, you know, you've been around Annapolis politics, this scene for a long time. Talk a little bit about your current role and how you got there. Yeah, well, first, thanks for making me feel old, Kevin. Uh, appreciate <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, so I guess I came to know Mako because I was a council member for two terms in Anne Arundel, enjoyed being part of the legislative committee. And, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of ran for office uh, largely on an environmental platform. And that was my whole thing. But throughout the course of my legislative career, I somehow turned into a, a budget wonk and spent a lot of time in the auditor's <laughs> office and working with, um, you know, John Hammond in the in the county budget office. And so it's always been something I've enjoyed because you think about it, budget's a giant policy vehicle, right? I mean, if you want to do something, you got to pay for it and budget makes it happen. Um, so uh, when County Executive Pittman was elected in Anne Arundel, uh, he brought me on board and I was kind of a, you know, communications and policy guy and did a lot of stuff with the budget. But then as things go, there was a vacancy in the in the budget officer and you got to appoint an acting person. Right. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and so they looked around and, and they're like, all right, let's throw Trumbauer over there. So I did that for a couple months and uh, turned out, I guess uh, it was a good fit because um, <laughs> county exec made me permanent uh, earlier this this year, back in January. And uh, I'm really lucky because I have a great team of, uh, we call them budgeteers, and uh, a few other people sprinkled throughout county government that have uh, previously been in the budget office. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's been going pretty well. And I'll say, this is a very interesting time to be involved in a county budget office. There's a lot going on. Right. That, that, yeah. that really is like the, the arcing theme of why we wanted to bring you aboard. And jokes aside about this being just sort of a random lasso, we felt like this was a good window of time to talk about 
the budgeting process. The state budget is starting to come into crisper focus. Um, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, and just earlier today, we heard some details about what the state has in mind longer term with federal funds. And all this uncertainty at the state level pre- precedes what tends to be the, the counties going through a very similar process. Uh, you need to know what where you sit with the state and state policies and requirements and so forth. But you and your colleagues who are trying to figure out county level fiscal plans are in high gear right now meeting with your agencies on you know what what you can pull together for at least the first draft of a county budget that's right and i'll say it's been a very dynamic year so things <laughs> things look a lot different now uh, right. almost in april than than they did back in january for instance which yeah. is when we started trying to build our operating budget and it's it's always an interesting time of year because at the same time counties are building their budgets our friends uh over in the General Assembly are working on the state budget, and that obviously has um, implications, uh, you know, good and bad. But so, some of some of our peers uh, have already submitted their budget, right? And then right. the state budget isn't even done yet. Right. So I know Montgomery County submitted theirs, and I think there's a couple others. We don't submit ours till April 30th, so we have another few weeks left to try and, you know, prognosticate about what's <laughs> going to happen and fit the last-minute comings and goings in there. Um, but there is a bunch of moving parts. There's the federal assistance, first with CARES, and now with the American Rescue Plan, mm-hmm. which we call ARPA. I don't know if anyone else does yeah, that. Yeah, I've but. heard that. I think okay. that, ARPA's that, thing. that may it's be thing. showing up as the, the, the preferred pronunciation. It's among a hashtag, the, the too. Types. So I think, okay. I think you're good. Yeah. Okay. okay. It sounds a little like DARPA. It sounds it, to me like it, a little like... You know, it's a little like sinister. It does yeah, sound right. a little <laughs> sinister. But really, it's all good, though. It's, <laughs> it's, all good. it's, it's really good stuff. And um, we've we've done a lot of talking about um, well, how, how we deployed CARES, uh, which was last year and obviously is extended to the end of the year. And then what we're going to do with ARPA... And the thing is, like, if, if CARES was a 5K, ARPA's a marathon, right? right? I mean, right. You, we, we've got till the end of 2024 calendar year, and there's a lot more flexibility and broad directives out of that. And there's a lot of different federal um, initiatives that are coming mm-hmm. to the counties, either directly yeah. or through the state. So there's a lot hanging out there right. that I think everybody's trying to get a good handle there's on. There's also a big infrastructure package that President Biden, I think, is unveiling <laughs> today. So a lot going on that you're trying to plan for. But, you yeah. know, you mentioned we're in much better shape. But there are still a number of things that you and your colleagues across the counties are worried about, right? I mean, talking about COVID, the numbers are starting to spike again. We still have an uncertain economy. You don't really know who's employed or who's being propped up. How do you how do you deal with all of that as you build a budget moving forward? I mean, again, things are much better than they were before, but still a lot of uncertainty. Do you build in some flexibility, some padding there to make sure you're not in bad shape once the federal money dries up? Right. So um, we don't we don't really have the luxury of building and pa- uh, padding per se, but mm-hmm. what what we're kind of looking at this budget in Anne Arundel County, this is kind of a, a, a get back on track budget, right? Like last year, we submit our budget May first. That was when all hell was breaking right. loose right. with the economy, yeah. and we we just we took things out. We took all the cash out of our capital budget. You know, we restricted programs. We brought everything back that we could to the minimal, and it turned out. Now we know mm-hmm. things weren't that bad. And so we budgeted very conservatively, which was the smart thing to do. And now uh, the revenue uh, projections are coming back better, which means we have more funds to deploy um, than, you know, than we thought we would. Mm-hmm. Go- lo- looking forward, um, 
again, we're trying to look at the immediate future versus the long term, right? Like the next the next few years are going to be totally how how are we bouncing back from the COVID pandemic? But what are the underlying economic indicators moving past that, right? County Executive Pittman saw in the Washington Post this really interesting graphic that showed like people's um, income uh, divided in quartiles, right? And the lowest 25% are the folks that had the unemployment, that their wages went down, they tanked. People above that were doing okay, very resilient. And in fact, um, like the highest bracket are are doing even better in some cases. And so we're kind of looking at that saying, okay, the recovery, you know, what can we do to make sure that we're helping the people that are needing the most? help um, and trying to project that out a couple years. But with even with all this extra um, federal assistance that's coming and now, you know, the state had a big announcement with the presiding officers and the governor today and they're, they've got some good news. But all of that assistance money, you know, that's coming in. That's something that you can use for short term things. But once it's gone, mm-hmm. it's gone. So you can't you can't count on that being there in a few years. So you got to be careful what you spend it on. You want to do the most good you can without setting yourself up for a big fall later on. Right. And that, 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 that difference between short-term and longer-term thinking is a recurring theme when we talk with the fiscal leaders at, at every level, but certainly at the county level. You've got to balance your budget every year. And so you've got to, you've got to think multiple years and affordability and so forth. We don't know. I mean, the thing I find the, the most mystifying here is that Every economist or every consultant who's trying to give you guidance on what the economy really looks like right now, they have thrown out the playbook, right? Because usually you're looking at things like unemployment. It's a really easy indicator of is there distress in the economy? And if people are starting to line up and claim unemployment, usually that's a really reliable indicator that there's weakness and that means trouble. That's going to mean your wage base and that means people buy fewer shoes and fewer sandwiches. But unemployment claims are super high, but we've papered that over with federal assistance, probably for the better. But that means you have a massive disconnect with the usual indicators and what's really happening under the surface. So we don't know. We had close to a million people last week file for unemployment for the first time in America. Those are panic numbers, but the economy right now doesn't say panic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how you know? I mean, making a one-year plan is tricky enough, but thinking about well, what are we going to do in year two and year five has got to be like. I mean, I'm like, it's like the Riddler. You know, right. just just nothing but questions. Well, it's and it's unprecedented too. There's nothing. There's nothing like this in the modern era to go back and say, well, how did it go back then? Right. right. Like, tell tell me another time when you're in right. a, a recession, but the real estate market is on fire. And right? if there's anyone. Like, who, who you could go to would be John Hammond. Like he had seen it all, right? And he can't even go to a time where things have been this sort of in flux, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if he can't do it, there's probably nobody that can. Right, right. So, I mean, the federal money's coming, but obviously, you know, that needs local guidance. And NACO at the national level, MACO has been pushing for flexible funding, fair funding for all counties. That needs local guidance, right? And a lot of this money is just passing through, right? And we've seen that at the state level as well with some of the stuff the state has done. The counties have sort of managed those programs and money literally just flows through. So talk a little bit about that and how you handle that as well, Uh, you know, trying to write county budgets and and managing that piece of it. And then also what you want to do as a 
a county with a separate pot of money that's not just passing through. Sure. And I mean, that that is where it it all comes down to. Right. And that's what makes all of this um, so complex. But again, I I can point to um, the CARES funding that we got because Anne Arundel County got about 101 million. um, And that was right as we were introducing our budget last year. So we didn't include anything from CARES in our budget. Mm -hmm. It was still formulating and we weren't sure how we could use it and what the guidance was. So we kind of pretended it didn't exist. We built our budget and then we figured, okay, we'll, we'll use CARES the best we can. And, and right off the bat, we started using it to, to do things like buy PPE, right? right. To, to buy food for people that needed food, like all the immediate response kind of stuff. And then as time went by and things started becoming more clear and, and we had a better picture, then we started doing assistance programs. And these were a lot Mm -hmm. of things we did, some even in partnership with the state. So, uh, helping out the restaurant industry or, we worked with our local community foundation um, to give a grant for nonprofit organizations, right? Because right? they were struggling too. Definitely. And, and then a lot of a lot of things that we would classify as as um, you know personal assistance too. So we had um, you know we had our, our accounting folks kind of break out just in a pie chart of how we spent the CARES funds, and about thirty percent of it to date um, has been on health initiatives, straight to our Department of Health to right. you know to do all that stuff, and then about fourteen percent for our first responders because you know their job changed sure. a lot and they were doing things mm-hmm. about 10% for overall county government program support and then 20% of it went to assistance programs straight to our local businesses mm-hmm. about another 20% to assistance programs for residents so we we kind of spread it around a little bit um, the thing is with this new ARPA funding you know the the Biden bill um, that's a little bit different because it's a lot more flexible and it can last a lot longer. Right, and so we're, we're, it. we're working now to try and plot out a more longer term strategy. And they, they specifically call out a few things. Like they say, Hey, you can use this for water and sewer infrastructure. You can mm-hmm. use it for broadband. You mm-hmm. can use it to try and, you know, make a dent on poverty issues. Right. right. And these are all things that are attractive to County Executive Pittman and I assume to other county leaders, uh, across the state. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not looking at ARPA as just a COVID response bill as much as we're looking at it as a COVID response bill plus these other things. And as, as Mako knows and everybody, like counties have been asking for more assistance to do a lot of the stuff for a long time. And so this can be a vehicle to kickstart some of those efforts, but you can't get, can't get too dependent on it for long term costs because it goes away eventually. Right. I, I feel like broadband and this is something we'll bring up as we talk about the state plan mm-hmm. as well, but broadband is a perfect illustration of that nexus that it's it's a public health crisis first and foremost and it turns into an economic crisis and that has its own ripple effects but what we're fine is societally so many people working from home so many students trying to learn from home and relying on their internet connection as not just entertainment not just you know i want to be able to stream a movie mm-hmm. but i need to be able to get my class materials or i need to be able to participate in the sales pitch for my firm yeah. like that's a totally different relationship and that's okay it's not exactly covid but covid sort of has illustrated where the rocky shoals are sure. in in our you know, sort of economy in our infrastructure and so forth and we've been we've heard this term like digital divide has been I don't know limping around for a decade but I feel like we're in really high gear recognizing this is super important 
it's going to stay that way. Even yeah. hopefully we're on the you know, we're on the backside of this tough time, and a year or two from now, we're not going to be in shutdown America, but we're going to be in a revised America where your connectivity is going to remain super important. Yeah, so, and yeah. and even at the beginning of the pandemic, remember you, you you couldn't really you weren't supposed to go to the doctor, you weren't supposed to go to other things, and and so would you have you had telehealth appointments, right? Well, right, if, right. If you don't, how are you supposed to do that if you don't have a good internet connection? Not, so I think I think this has exposed like another equity issue, and and it is you know it's a crisis, but it also presents the opportunity to address that. So I I think there's a number of things like that, and and. Promoting equity, it sounds like that actually is an undercurrent that that the county executive, that Anne Arundel County, and I think other jurisdictions are putting forward as you put together plans for the next round of ARPA funding. Mm-hmm. We okay, we we did some emergency stuff, right? We had to we had to put people on new assignments, and we had to buy protective equipment, and we had to bail out this restaurant, or else they're going to go belly up and fire everybody, right? So that's kind of round one. If round Round two is how do we try and sort out the pieces, Uh, a theme being promoting equity as we recover, thinking about renters and rental properties. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a big part of uncertainty in our economy, too. So that's one of the things that I'm hearing as you kind of go through the bits of the pie chart. Um, Equity is a consideration that's going to be on a lot of people's minds here, too. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Right. So you address the, the short term needs immediately and now moving forward, you know, making equity a central component across multiple policy areas seems to be the county executive's vision moving forward and what you're crafting and hearing from all your folks as they make their budget requests. That seems to be a central theme across a broad array of policy areas moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, we know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for being here. You're in the midst of all your budget considerations. I know you're on Zooms and you're talking to your your departments and, and working all that out, but we really appreciate your time to sort of walk through somebody boots on the ground, how they've been dealing with and planning for the fiscal terms in the future. And of course, reconciling what you had to deal with with COVID. So thanks so much. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. And thanks for the cool Mako Conduit Street blog tote bag. I mean, I didn't expect this, but that's oh, really yeah. nice. Do you the like, the, do you like the, uh, the, the fancy water with the logo on it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know you guys were still doing that yeah. with COVID, but I, I'm really pleased. So. <laughs> All right. Happy well, to do it. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it's really good to talk to you. Hey, Conduit Street fans. We just got through audit season, and I bet many of your governments are sitting on a long-term liability for retiree health insurance. Many counties and cities are looking for a solution to help them save today's funds towards tomorrow's costs. MAKO has created a cost-saving investment trust service for counties libraries, community colleges, and our municipal friends as well. If you join the MAKO Investment Trust, you share all the overhead costs with multiple participants, you gain access to an A-team of investment and fiscal advisors, and you benefit from a portfolio designed around your needs. For more information, click on the links in the show notes for this episode. All right. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, on the front end, we talked with Chris Trumbauer, Anne Arundel County's budget officer, about budgeting amidst a pandemic. We talked about the federal money that's coming down. We also mentioned and teased that there was a big announcement today with the presiding officers of the General Assembly, along with the governor, on how to spend this massive amount of federal money that's going to be coming down as a result of the ARPA plan that was passed by Congress. You know, obviously, this is something that we've been looking forward to, Michael, and I think this is a great example of how things should work here in Annapolis. Yeah, I think I think we can break this down a little bit 
it's been two or three weeks running now that I think we've made mention on the podcast feeling like something like this made sense that this should happen, right? Whether, whether it was going to be a bill that the legislature might pass saying this should be the spending framework or whether it apparently, like we saw, Technically, the term is a supplemental budget right. introduced today and the announcement this afternoon that this is a spending framework for how the state of Maryland plans to put these dollars to work. Some of it really rapidly and some of it is probably going to be over time, but doing this within the budget process is is sort of like the above board way to do this. It's the most straightforward, the most transparent way to do this. And having legislative leaders, you know, as part of the announcement, I feel was big, broad messaging and probably tells us why this has been quiet for a while. Right. We knew that they were sort of negotiating behind the scenes. And this, you know, if you look at this money, and again, it's about $3.9 billion. This is stuff that the governor wants. This is stuff that the General Assembly wants. And I guess you have to give kudos to to all of them involved for working this out. We knew things were quiet, like you said, for a reason. We knew there were discussions going on about how to, to get to a point where both the General Assembly and the governor were, were very satisfied in how this money would be distributed. But, Michael, again, we'll go through some of these items, but I guess you really have to give kudos to you know the, the leadership, their staff, the governor, his staff, because this seems like a really good agreement. They were really happy they went out there together, like you said. Yeah. And this is a, a great, great example of how our government should work. Right. And, I mean, you look in some states, this is going to be combat, right? In in some states, you'll have the executive branch and the legislative branch in a big arm wrestling over who gets the upper hand here. While we want to make the rules, we're going to pass this bill. We're going to create a commission. We're going to tell you what to do. Governor will say, no, 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 you're not, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this could have been like that, but instead it ends up being, we're going to address all of our collective priorities. And I mean, it's not like the list of things that got discussed today was lots of big twists and turns, but I, I think these things make sense as a Maryland response to the problems we face on the ground and what we know are coming around the bend. Right. So we'll go through a couple of these items here, yeah. Michael. Again, some of the major components here of this bipartisan agreement. First of all, $1.1 billion, so a big chunk, is going to be designated to shoring up the state's unemployment insurance trust fund. Michael, that's in the weeds, but talk a little bit about that and why that's important. <laughs> Yeah, we, um, I don't think we want to go super deep, but short version is we have an unemployment insurance system that's designed to make people not quite whole, but, but closer to whole than they would be if they were just out of work and had no income. So right. you lose your job, we'll fill in the gap and help you have some income while you look for another job. And that system works generally pretty well under fairly ordinary circumstances with the numbers of Marylanders who were uh, drawing claims and, and, and filing claims and so forth. Um, we were just outstripping this system and left to its own devices. What you'd end up with is lots of employers laid people off through no fault of their own. Right, right. And they would be tagged as, Oh, now you're a bad actor. And so you've used the system a lot. And like insurance, like if you have like three car crashes, your auto insurance rate goes yeah, up. Rates go up. Yeah. You'd have the same problem. So you don't want that to happen. You don't want those businesses to get swallowed up by huge premiums. 
But that means by not bumping up their premiums, the trust fund that actually pays people's insurance payments, um, that trust fund is going to go belly up. Right. So we, we basically have papered that over temporarily. And this is a way to get that, that, that program back on its feet. We're, we're doing the right thing by Marylanders who are, who are down on their luck. We're not trying to flood the employers who had to let people go because this is a one of a kind circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's certainly a balancing act. So good news there. That seems like a, a, a worthwhile investment. Michael, $800 million is going to go to existing efforts to provide pandemic relief, including the Relief Act of 2021. We've talked about that, the Maryland Strong Economic Recovery mm-hmm. Initiative. More than $600 million dedicated, this is a big one, Michael, to the safe reopening of schools. So this is a big topic, good chunk of money going here. That makes sense. Right. And mostly this is common sense. We're not done with this, right? right? It's, it, I mean, we've got vaccinations on the way and let's hope that in a few weeks time, the, the sort of troubling numbers will turn in a better direction and so forth. But even, you know, even in our optimistic view of how things are going to go from here, we still have some months ahead of being safe, being smart, uh, being at some limited capacity and economic activity not quite back to normal. So even in the rosiest scenario, we still need help. And that's, that's what this is. This is a recognition that we're not, we're not out of the woods yet. Absolutely. And then 500 million, Michael, dedicated to the Maryland Department of Transportation and Transportation Authority to improve infrastructure and services. That's always a good thing. One of the big things that I think stood out and the Senate president talked about this during this press conference, $300 million to major investments in broadband technology. Michael, there's $128 million for network infrastructure, $75 million for service fee and device subsidies. We know that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then municipal broadband grants as well. This is a topic we've talked about a lot. This is a MAKO initiative this year to streamline deployment of broadband across the state. There are other bills that are moving that create new funds. So this is, we mentioned earlier, a big topic. I'm happy to report that our initiative bill has passed the Senate. It just got out of the House committee. It's going to be on the floor. So good news there and really good news that the state is going to pony up $300 million out of this money to, to support expansion of broadband across the state. It's so vital for everyone. Yeah, t- totally agreed. I mean, I think we got to this in our conversation with with you know the with the budget officer with Chris Trumbauer talking about these are among the initiatives in you know one or many of our Maryland counties this was one of these things that bubbled up from our membership as we were trying to refine what should be our top priorities in this weird COVID-laden session, right? And I remember back last summer, we were all hoping and expecting that all this would have abated by January and it would be in the rearview mirror and we'd be in post-COVID environment come the 21 session. That hasn't proven to exactly be the case, but the policy issues that that have been sharpened by this crisis definitely go beyond just, oh, we need to buy PPE. We need to fund our health departments. We need that too. But, um, but connectivity is super important. And I think everybody being on board has, has, has been really helpful for stuff we wanted policy wise, but having the funding to follow is going to help us live up to a lot of promises. That, that's always been the piece, right? You need the money. And we know this is an issue in every single county. We don't need kids at McDonald's doing their homework because they don't have access to internet at their home. We need to fix that. And this is a joint effort now between the state and local governments to address this issue for sure. Michael, $300 million to, you know, supporting critical lifelines for Marylanders. 
the temporary cash assistance program, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Really important too. You want to talk a little bit about that and why that's so essential as well? Well, I, I think, I think another thing we raised with, with Chris Trumbauer was equity considerations. And we know this pandemic has not landed upon, upon different classes and different demographics of Marylanders equally. Uh, we know that's an issue with the trouble that's been caused. Uh, we know in the healthcare delivery system, there are weaknesses by class and by race. And we know that some of the economic effects have been hardest at, at the lower end of the economic spectrum. So if you're not thinking in terms of how can we help those who have been hit the hardest and probably have the most need anyway, then you haven't been paying attention. So this is, this is Maryland, in my judgment, sort of correctly reading the room and recognizing there are some families who need immediate direct assistance above and beyond just, I lost my job and I want some replacement income, but let's keep people from just falling off the ledger. Right. right that's a huge piece of the puzzle. I'm sure that's a non-negotiable here. And then 75 million, Michael, for apprenticeships and employment training. That's also going to be a major component of giving everybody on track. We know a lot of people have lost their jobs. We've talked about the role that our community colleges mm-hmm. play in a lot yeah. of these job training programs. So really good to see 75 million for apprenticeships and employment training. I, th- I think they they couple together perfectly, right? We are we are refining and 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 reshaping this economy on the fly and as we speak. And there's going to be a technology presence in our economic and personal activity that outlasts this pandemic. So be ready for it. And for some people, that's going to mean pick up a new skill, you know, do some more training, go enroll in some classes at your community college, join up with an apprenticeship program that has you ready for the job that's ready for you. Right. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah. We hear the term upskilling a lot. Right. And I think that's going to be a big theme. And then, Michael, 100 million for supporting state employees that are on the front lines, including correctional officers, healthcare workers, police officers that could be exposed to COVID through their jobs. And then reinstating response pay for those those folks as well. Uh, so that's a big deal. That's $100 million. And I think that's a good recognition from the state of their employees that have been on the front lines. And I think we'll probably see counties make investments as well, because we know that the, the Congress has also sent down money to counties. So, of course, that's on everybody's mind. But good for the state, for the governor and the presiding officers to come together and recognize the work that their employees on the front lines are doing throughout the pandemic. I mean, we've had literally an hour or two to, to try and digest the basics of, of the state framework. So I, I don't think we can claim to be experts that, you know, this number is right or this number should be larger or smaller. And I suspect there will be voices who show up and say, I wish there were more of this. Sure, they sure, skipped sure. that and that sort of thing. What I, what I will say is this hits the tongue in a pretty good place. I think, I think this sounds like a smart approach for a state like Maryland. It's the kinds of things that we would have guessed. I mean, if, if, if you and I and, and a dozen random listeners of the podcast had, had, had been issued index cards, what do you think is going to be in, in the plan for state use of ARPA funds? The list would look a lot like this, yep. right? I mean, continue the stuff that we've been doing, double down on the problems we know have existed. We just haven't been able to tend to, um, look out for the neediest among us right. and try and be ready for what's next. Oh, I mean, those are principles that they're not 
D or R. They're not urban or rural. They're just sensible. The kind of stuff, I mean, you know, governor's really interested in using phrases like common sense. I mean, if he didn't use that in today's press conference, he should have because this is a really common sense response to the situation we're in. And this is, this is what I think the feds want and need state and local governments to do. Be smart on the ground. We're lucky we, we've had the state and, and local governments work really well together, including with CARES funding. Michael, we know some states are still, uh, you know, sure. in, in arguments about how that money should have been directed. But this is also another example of the states working well, bipartisan fashion to get this done. Michael, moment of personal privilege. Hmm. One of the things we've talked about because of the pandemic, the governor vetoed a bill that would enhance disparity grant funding. This is funding for our poorest counties. They took a hit. Nobody wanted that to happen. The governor also included in this supplemental budget money to make them whole, to keep, to hold them harmless so that they're not losing disparity grant funded, which is much needed, especially in this pandemic. So I'm excited. I really thank the governor for recognizing the need for, to make sure that these counties are, are held harmless with disparity grants. So, Good news on that front, too. But as you said, a lot to digest. We'll have to walk through the, the supplemental budget. I'm sure we'll go through the pages and pages. But this is a really big deal, I think, overall for the state of Maryland and for our budget uh, moving forward. Yeah. So so a, a good plan and what it also does for those of us who are stakeholders in the Maryland policy process is this avoids two straight weeks of rancor and like panic about what the hell are we going to do? Like we're I don't I don't think we're going to have that situation. This plan, you know, has has advanced sign off by the presiding officers of the House and Senate. They they may do a nip tuck here and there and find a thing to adjust, but but I think, you know, this plan is going to more or less make it through the legislative budget process. You have to think. And don't wash out this issue with disparity grants as nothing. This is a major consequence for for low wealth jurisdictions that have in good faith said we'll raise local revenues we're willing to have a tax rate to bring in these dollars but you, if you don't get much bang for the buck out of your local income tax the disparity grant is supposed to be the program that makes that work and when that you know when we basically had a a, a record scratch moment where we skipped a year because of a because of a fiscal veto right, in you right. know in the throes of a pandemic right. and it wouldn't have been fair to have this whole year get tossed out because of weird timing. Mm-hmm. So a hold harmless element in this provision. I mean, this is what it's only, it's only $10 million in a $3.9 billion plan. So it's a rounding error. Right. But if you're Caroline County or if you're Prince George's County, it's a really big deal. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. So again, that's a really good outcome here. And we'll go through the rest of this, Michael, and report back. But anything else before we wrap up today in this rainy Annapolis day here on Conduit Street? Um, I'm just happy to be back. Back on Conduit Street and, you know, no jokes about partying or, you know, crazy activities no, 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 or anything no. like that. We're not doing all that sort of stuff. Your no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, not trying to lead with that sort of thing. I have learned my lesson. So I'll, I'm, I'm still, I still have my, my double mask right here. I'm, I'm, I'm being safe and responsible. Mom, if you're out there listening, everything's fine. He, I can attest to that. So he's, he's doing the right thing, but we'll, we'll leave it there today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. That way all these episodes will be sent to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for now, for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.